When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, it's Craig. Want to take a moment out before the show to tell you about our Patreon offerings. Yes, that's right, patreon.com slash Katya and Craig. That's the place to go if you want to join Hot Dog Club and gain access to hours and hours and hours and hours of exclusive content. For $5 a month, you get bonus episodes. A bonus episode you might be familiar with is the Thunderbuns episode. That's one of the examples we wanted to put out into the world of some of the magic you can get only on Patreon. For $7 a month, you get the bonus episodes as well as all of the listener questions episodes. And for $10 a month, well, for $10 a month, you get the bonus episodes, you get the listener questions episodes, and you get full access to all of our movie clubs. That's right, movie club, in which we all watch a movie together. I mean, not necessarily in the same room, but spiritually and emotionally together. Followed by a full breakdown of the film. And sometimes the episodes are actually longer than the films themselves. Let's see, on Movie Club we've done Suspiria, Steel Magnolias, Legend, John Waters' Hairspray, and coming soon a very, very extended Movie Club all about Rocky Horror Picture Show, featuring Cherry and Sophie and Cherry's partner Dozer, who amazingly had not only not seen the film before, had never heard of it. So we got to experience it with a true Rocky virgin. We'd love it if you subscribe on iTunes and leave a review for us, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Katya and Craig, which is spelled at symbol Katya and Craig. Katya, of course, is on tour with Help Me, I'm Dying, and a bunch of new dates have been added, so go to Katya Live and check that out. And now that we're done with all of that, it's time to listen to my chat with James St. James featuring guest co-host Devin Green. A Russian ballerina stopping on a bureaucrat A perky suburban housewife who just got into scats It's whimsically Welcome, welcome. Hello, darling. Yes, darling. Lovely to see you. Thank you so much for joining us. And, and Devin, I'm keeping your mic off for a little while, just, just to see. <laughs> I, I, I think that would be a terrible mistake. <laughs> I, I think ladies love a challenge, right? We always hear that. And, uh, Sometimes I just, I'll start with a thought and then I'll sort of peter out halfway through and I get very Trumpian like that. Well, that, that's kind of our show, so that's okay. perfect. We're here with James St. James and Devin Green. Oh my It's God. very exciting and we have a long, rich history. <laughs> indeed, indeed. You were just talking a little bit about it. Yeah, I think we've known each other for about well, over 10 years, I think. Oh, easily. easily. And he, uh, actually, he and Miss Michelle Visage gave me the uh, best YouTuber Oh, Award at the One of the very first ones. It was and a landslide. It was it was an avalanche of, of of support for you. There, we love you. We love 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 you and Michelle. We, we today we're giving our our shout out to Michelle. That's right because she, she had, had right. her implants removed. She's they're toxic mm-hmm. and uh, what a brave move for a young girl to go like really for her to do that at this point I yeah. admire her so much she's my friend mm-hmm. and you know she's always her. been very open ab- yes. about having them about you sure. know about what, how she wanted them so much yes. and now when she realized that it is toxic and it was making her sick she just did the logical thing and I think it's a good it's a good 
she's a good role model. She's yes, she is. Really, yeah. yeah. And also being very open about that is terrific for anyone who might be struggling with something like that. Exactly. And yeah. also, someone you've known for 10 years, that means that you consider them family, right? Well, yeah, I've always said that. that if, if, if I've known you for 10 years, you know, um, I, you, I want everybody to call I'm James to everybody, unless you've known, unless you're family or you've known me for 10 years, and then you can call me Jimmy. You yeah. can call me Jim. You can call me, yeah. hey, Nate, stupid. I, yeah. <laughs> we actually have one person in common who we both lost last year, Mr. Saban. Oh, And yeah. uh, he was just an icon. Stephen Saban used to write for details, and then mm-hmm. he was working at World of Wonder for many years, and he is somebody who I when I moved to New York and I was 17 years old he was my icon I used to just follow him around I chased him I stand at I he had a column in details and I would come up to him and I'd be like write about me write about me and I went over the course of the years from from being a fan to being a friend mm-hmm. to being a best friend yeah. to um, then being a co-worker and so it was it sort of like I knew him from every point of view I knew every you know for over the course of 30 years and then uh, losing him last year was just brutal. It, uh, brutal. It, he he really was a champion mm-hmm. of mine, and he would write up any time I did a voiceover. Yeah. And I was reticent to meet him in person, so I just would send pizza pies to World <laughs> you of did. Wonder. You did. Yeah. I didn't know how else to thank him, well, and I just what could be he... better, really, <laughs> honestly. And then finally, after like two years, I finally delivered one. I hand delivered <laughs> it. I was really so thankful to him. He sure. was really a champion. We were yeah. also in Marjorie's film, Marjorie yes. Conrad, yeah, yeah. Chemical Cut, mm-hmm. where he played a, uh, her father, mm-hmm. and he was just incredible he's somebody who um had a real love of the english language he was a writer yes and mm-hmm. he would he, he and i when we worked together god bless him uh, if you're listening Stephen, i'm so sorry but we would go <laughs> to the mat we would argue for over a, a dangling participle we would argue <laughs> over an, uh, oxford, an, comma. an oxford comma <laughs> i mean literally we, we would we would scream and shout for he wouldn't speak to me for days because i was i would put lol on on something and that was just you know, <laughs> not just, having it. No, he was a true purist when it comes to writing. He was an old style journalist, and he really, um, like I said, he was a mentor of mine for many years. And and any skill that I have is because of him. You know, his stories I feel were somewhat lost because he would relay them to us in person. But I don't know if they were ever put down. He had so many books and so many insights yeah. into the dark reaches and the microcosms, <laughs> uh, you know, the all these subsects. The nether worlds of... Uh, you, mm-hmm. you know, it's he, funny... He traversed the whole thing, though. He, he, was, he was in many different scenes yeah. over the course of his life. Um, he also is... I've always was fascinated because he was a, in his, a teen and in his 20s and the 60s. He was in his 30s and the 70s. He was in his 40s and the 80s. He managed to do those decades just <laughs> right, and he was like in the epicenter of every... of the disco, of the punk, of, of 80s, of you sure. know, 60s, and he just had these stories. And he wrote for... Um, Details magazine, which I don't know if people realize that details before it was a men's fashion magazine in the 80s, it was nightlife and art and mm-hmm. fashion. And it was like below 14th Street in New York. And he was Mr. New York. Mm-hmm. And he was just a fascinating person to to know. And so I, I miss him. I miss it, him every it was day. Heartbreaking. And sure. just recently, we were doing this show on um, uh, at World of Wonder called Reading Queens with Psychic Char Margolis. Have Listen, you heard about this? L- l- I'm going to. Yeah, here's the thing. I've known you. I have known you for over 10 years. <laughs> and 
I have never seen anything humanize you as much <laughs> as this reading in my entire life. Really? You were spooked. You were woke. You, I, <laughs> I watched the whole thing. I watched that part twice because guess who showed up? Okay. So uh, she's saying, you know, she, she says, you know, uh, I see someone with an S. Is, is, do you have anybody with an S who just recently passed? And I'm reading. like, and I'm like oh, see, yes, yeah, yeah. Stephen. Mm-hmm. Stephen Saban. She, she's a psychic. Mm-hmm. And I said, Stephen, she said, he just recently passed over. And I said, yes. And she said, he, he, we had had a falling out beforehand, mm-hmm. and I didn't get a chance to see him, but before he passed, and I was very upset about that, and I wasn't able to go to his um uh, to his, way, his memorial in New York, mm-hmm. and I really felt bad about it. And she said, just without knowing any of that, she said she want he wants you to know he knows you weren't there, and he he loves you, and it's it's not a problem, and it, I, to let it go. And I said, oh my god! And she said, he's here, and he wants you to know that. And the minute she said that, the, the light. light- Go out. The lights <laughs> popped and bright like the light bulb broke. It was I was just dying. I was like, Oh my god, Steven, I'm so, I'm so glad you're okay with it. It was just You uh. are I'll, I'll be honest. You're you're very clear on who you are, James. But I had yeah. never seen you so bewildered. <laughs> you, you you can't hide it. You like your true essence came out in that moment. I was like the number one your reading was sharp. It freaked me out. <laughs> well, I went into it because I, you know, I don't Do know. Do you even believe in? I, I, I don't, thought you I, were sort of red, like you were sort of reticent. I don't well, know. I, I don't know if I believe or if I don't. I mean, I've had a lot of weird things happen in my life. I've had a lot of spooky, weird. I thought for yeah. I had someone come in and had sage my apartment recently because I thought there was a poltergeist. There was. Uh, <laughs> I was sleeping and a, a picture fell and hit me on the head, bunked me on the head. I got locked in my bathroom for about four hours. What? I the doorknob just yeah. wouldn't wouldn't go and i was like trapped in the bathroom i was calling out into the alley behind me it was uh midnight on a friday so there was not going to be anybody in the alley right. well, i don't know but, um, <laughs> or no but, one helpful maybe but finally yeah. they had to call the fire department and they had to break down the door and they had to climb in through a window and break down it was just crazy so i kept thinking like there's all these weird things happening in my apartment and someone came over and they said we need to sage this place yeah so maybe who i don't know if there's an afterlife i don't know if there are ghosts or spirits but i'm willing to give it a you shot. You are a magnet. <laughs> now, did anything change stuff. after the saging? Well, for a while, but now all of a sudden there's a weird spot in the apartment mm-hmm. where every time I walk past it, I have this like dark feeling and I say, oh, when is it going to get better? And then I walk past and I'm like, fine again. And I keep thinking, <laughs> maybe like something happened right there. Sure. Maybe like some, there was like a suicide or but something in this one spot. And I just and I say the same thing. Oh, this, residual. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sitting right there. There's some sort of yeah energy or something. So. I thought about putting a nice credential of there or something <laughs> right <laughs> do you have a guide like a spirit animal i know you have a well it's weird that you say that because do you know about harvey have i ever told you about harvey no. <laughs> well i have this giant seven foot paper mache rabbit okay that i found in a um in a thrift store in, a, in a, like an antique store in new york about 35 years ago and it was the march hair from mama leone's Okay, it was in the window at Mama Leone's, and it has this evil, evil look on its face. And it looks, I always say that he's been smoking crack or something, and I sometimes have to chain him up because I think he wanders around the apartment when I'm not there. But there's just something about his eyes. Every once in a while, I'll look over at him, and I'll just see that there's someone in this rabbit Mm -hmm. staring back at me. And I always think that maybe he protects me. Maybe he is my spirit. and Maybe I, because I have lugged him from apartment to apartment to apartment from New York. 
York to Miami to LA to I mean like 20 different apartments and he falls but like I just keep there's I can't let go of this guy and so I think that maybe that he's my spirit animal even mm, if he's I thought your spirit animal was Dame Edith Sitwell <laughs> oh yeah I love me some Dame Edith Sitwell yeah she's um bless her heart bless her heart do you have a spirit animal Craig um I'm not sure actually who would you think would be my spirit would, animal oh um a roast beef. Yeah, sure, sure. An Arby's roast beef An Arby's. sandwich. Absolutely. Arby's perfect. That's it exactly. I, I would have a mannequin bird because that's the only uh-huh. bird with a solid bone. Well, what about just a mannequin? Yeah, that's not a... <laughs> we were talking earlier about... I reread your book mm. and... Um... Which one? <laughs> Darling, which book? Which one? <laughs> and you have a third coming. I, like, I, be, well, I know, well, I know. We'll get it. Not the, the trilogy. Yeah. yeah. So uh, one of the things that really struck me is your dedication to your friend family. And because we were talk- mentioned earlier, the thing about after 10 years, you consider friends family and your unconditional love for the folks in your life. It seemed like a, a value that goes through your entire story. Well, it is, it's, um, it's hard to talk about this, but my grandfather, um, was, uh, sort of a, mm, a bad guy. He was, okay. uh, uh, nefarious, uh, truculent, <laughs> insouciant. Was this the, in your, the, read something, a book that you had being I, written about Killer Grandpa? Yeah, yeah. Yes. And he, um, was a corrupt sheriff back in the Old South, and yeah. he, there was a lot of, uh, incidents that happened, and to me, Growing up, he was just, he was like Colonel Sanders. He was like God. He just had a white beard and white hair, and I just loved him to death. Sure. And it, what, I didn't know any of these things about him until I was an adult. And I was the wonder, the crux of the book is, um, am I allowed to love the memories that I have of him, even when I know that that the person isn't that? But, sure, you know. And so this, it's the same thing with Disco Blowbath with Party Monster. It's, um, am I allowed to uh, the good times that I had? Am I allowed to keep those good times, right. even when everything went bad and everything yeah. sure. went sour? Can they be two separate compartments? Yeah, exactly. You know, can I love the my romanticized? history with them which mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. then the the sort of the, the factual you know reality. because it wasn't you had a relationship this way and the relationship that they had with others was so dark and awful mm-hmm. how do you reconcile how, yeah sure and the thing with with like michael is that michael alig um, I had accepted who he was from the beginning, from the outset. Sure. I knew that he was a monster, mm-hmm. and I still chose to let him into my life, and I still chose to be a part of, of that scene, mm-hmm. knowing full well what he was capable of. Yeah. So when he actually did something monstrous, I couldn't jump back and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. Yeah. If I accepted him before, I have to accept him after. And that's what people don't really understand. And I, it, it's like if, with your family... You don't have to approve of them. Sure. You don't have to. You don't have to like what they do, mm-hmm. but they're a part of who you are, and they've and you stand by them without with, without condoning yeah, necessarily exactly. behavior. Exactly. Yeah, right. Anyone who is in my life for will remain in my life for always because you've been you've been a forever a part. friends. You yeah, know, you're part of my fabric. You're part of my fabric. Sure. Yeah. you may be a loose thread at sometimes, sometimes a little tighter, but. 
it's the people around you that make you whole, mm -hmm. you know, because we can't live in isolation, obviously. And I, I would not be the just, person I am. Correct. I mean, there, it's all learning experiences along the way. And, mm -hmm. and I think like to think that is, is all those bad things were happening. I became a better person and I became more, uh, you know, woke. <laughs> yeah, but not everybody, not everybody could have gone. You, yeah. you had several choices to make to get to where you are today. Yeah. To oh, be certainly. an articulate, yeah. you know, flourishing, robust life that you have because it could easily that's you the one oh. percent difference james you could have had a much well at any given point it seems like you know it just today i could you know fall off the wagon and you'd never see me again i mean like every minute is a choice and every minute you have to always constantly strive to to make the right choice and so when you say fall off the wagon so are you on a wagon oh yeah well yes um uh i can I can go to a bar, a club, and I can have two drinks, mm -hmm. and I can, then I can go home, and then I go home, and I'm fine. If I have three drinks, all of a sudden the club kid comes out and me, <laughs> and it's three days later, and I'm in Tijuana, and <laughs> like you know, an extra tattoo, <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah. So I, I'm, and I don't go out like I used to, and I, and that's that's a choice too because I sure. work, you know, and I try and be at work by nine every day, and we're nine till six, and the last thing I do want to do when I go home is you know get dressed up and go out so sure i um it's just something that and i'm in my 50s now and it's just it, i there's not as much out there for me and i and if i go out sometimes there is temptation and so i, I prefer not to put myself in the way of temptation anymore now what's your relationship with ketamine <laughs> now now I'm, I'm, well, we know what it was before uh, <laughs> i you know it does a lot of damage to your to your mind mm -hmm. i didn't realize how much uh 15 years of ketamine would do like i was telling you before that like sometimes my i will just trail off and like i'll just find myself <laughs> like in a and i just staring it out the window or something like that and i wonder if that at some point there will be like a dementia or something that I'll go into that long K hole of the evening oh, sure. and never come out again. Or as you said in one interview, K land, it's not even a hole. Anymore. <laughs> it, no, no, it is. It's just, it's, it is a whole la la land. Um, uh, but it, uh, you know, I mean, it screws with your bladder is one thing oh, that it does. Did you ever have any um, I, effects from that? Well, I... Uh, Do you have an irrigation issue? <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah, but I don't know if that's now, if it's just my age and I'm getting a prostate the size of a cantaloupe sure, or something. Sure, it's hard to parse out sometimes. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Which, which is the drugs and which is age at this point. So, yeah, so... I can I, check your prostate. <laughs> oh, sure, we'll take Craig, a short Craig, break. Craig, Actually, yeah. we'll, yeah, we'll reset the camera. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. It's a full service facility here, yeah. But it is, it's something that... the. The older you get, the the less inclined you are to want to go on a five day binge anymore. Because the you know it, it even starts happening in your thirties. Where if I were to do uh, go out and and go partying and do coke or gay or whatever, like I would need three days to recover. Sure, you yeah. know where you used to bounce up the next day and and go out and play. When your thirties, you need three days. If I were to do it now, I'm sure I would need two weeks before right. I could get out of bed again. Yeah. So it's just there's there's just there, it, it gets harder and harder. To, to be a bad boy with the older you get. Sure, and also with ketamine as well. I mean, it's sort of noted in your book, I think at one point when you were having drug dealers living at your house and sort of trading <laughs> their product for <laughs> being at your dwelling, <laughs> three vials a day <laughs> kind of blew my mind. Oh, yeah. it, it got worse than that. And then I would have like two or three dealers living in the house. You know, <laughs> one would be on the couch, one would be in the bedroom with me, so I'd you know, give... You're a lab rat. <laughs> <laughs> I would put a futon on the floor, <laughs> the bathroom. 
room. And I mean, it was, oh, I was terrible. But it's a weird symbiotic relationship because even though this was all normalized, you actually cared for them here. I, I, yeah. I, I still do. Does anybody I still... need snacks? <laughs> you know. Well, that's another thing that's a, a recurring theme in your book. One of the drug dealers, I think, uh, Freeze. Yeah. Freeze, who you had terrible dealings with, <laughs> but then he was really down on his luck. And so you're like, okay, I know that if I hang out with him for an hour or bring him over the house, he's going to be there for a week, but he's not doing so well. And yeah. he's part of our family. So he yeah. did. There, there are a lot of them that were sort of like little lost ducklings that I sort of gathered uh, into my fold. And, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I would like to think that they love me as much as I, the memories that I have of me, but as much as, but I don't know, some of them I don't think are very, some of them don't speak with me still. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, really breaking up communication with a drug dealer, it's very uncommon. I don't know. <laughs> Usually people have long and uh, fabulous <laughs> relationships. There's but. certainly no Hallmark card for that. <laughs> to, the, to the drug dealer thing, uh, Another thing that the book brought up in my mind is what the motivation is for some people to be drug dealers. Obviously, there's the financial gain, but it seemed like, I mean, especially with Mavis and Freeze, there they was were a, stars. Yeah, it was they a, were. Yeah, you know, that was their identity. That that's what made them. That was their skill. That, sure, and that yeah. was that was how they got in for free to clubs. That was how people gave them homage and paid the uh, you know took their pictures and gave them drink tickets and yeah. and they were invited everywhere and uh, they got they, they used their money to go buy fabulous little Versace outfits. And right. you know, I mean, it was, um, and I, you see this. I go see this in WeHo. I see, you know, like you see the the, the fabulous drug dealers and who are. <laughs> Does anything ever change? Not, <laughs> it's all la plus ça change. Ouais. Yeah, the plus on them, whatever. C'est comme le, le même chose. <laughs> the même shows, that was yeah. it. <laughs> there was a, a scene in the book where you're talking about Freeze sort of conducting like a an orchestra with his coke spoon or whatever <laughs> oh, because people are just bobbing oh, and weaving there the was hit. this oh good lord I, I don't want to mention names but I'm going to mention it uh, <laughs> Olympia who bless her heart she was out of her mind and she had a tackle box full of drugs like a fishing tackle box yeah. and she would say she'd say I'll give you you'd be like can I get a bump she'd like yes and she'd open up the tackle box and then she'd sort of go into a K-hole and you'd be sitting <laughs> Sitting there, like like fiending for the bump, and then she'd like dig around, and then she'd sort of nod off again, and you would be waiting for half an hour, just furious with her bump. You couldn't be, you couldn't say hurry up because no, then because she'd cut you off, or she would, yeah, yeah so it gives the game away exactly. Yeah. so you just had to sit there, and like you said, you you were bobbing, and then she'd get it in her hand, and then she'd start, and you'd be like chasing <laughs> it around with your nose. Oh God, I do not miss those times. Well, if we could insert a disclaimer, right? <laughs> Here, what, what PSA would you have for the youth? <laughs> um, buy the drugs outright. Get them in your own <laughs> no, little hands. And save time. That's <laughs> exactly. what it's all about. Don't chase a drug dealer for a bump because they're going to make you jump through hoops to get it. Mm-hmm. Was that? Was that was <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what we were looking <laughs> that, for. Yeah. As a deterrent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're going to put some motivational music behind that, and I think I have a terrific thing for the kids. Yeah. I want to see a kitten hanging from a branch going. Oh, sure. Yeah. With classical music. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, be- that's a beautiful, that's very memeingful. It's very, very memeingful. Thank you very much. I appreciate you acknowledging that. You have done so much. You write so much. You you still have your finger on the pulse. But doing transformations, you've had Ridge Gallagher to Drag Kings to Matthew Anderson, mm, Billy yeah. B being your very first one. Was there any one that actually made you emotional when you saw the transformation? Because transformations don't just happen on the outside; they also affect you on the inside. 
Um, there, you know, there have been a lot of transformations where I don't know what I'm getting into when I go into it, and I don't really know that much about the person. And there's one uh, that was um, uh, Hank and Henry. Do you know who he is? Um, he's uh, a makeup artist. I think on, you'll, you'll see him on Instagram. Really, really cute, beautiful, beautiful boy, beautiful soul. He came on and he started telling me his story about how uh, his mother was um, a meth addict mm-hmm. when he was growing up. And at one point, she owed money to the dealers and they came and kidnapped him and oh, held wow. him in a van for like 10 days and beat him. Yeah, just beautiful, beautiful boy. Oh, and yeah. um, his I believe that his brother is, is is dead. And so he's taken on his brother's name, the Hank and the Henry. Oh, wow. Part of the bro- mm-hmm. And he's telling the story. And I, I didn't know any of this. And I'm just like, I, tears are coming out of my mind because I didn't it was like it, you, you think that you're going in for this you know you know fun thing and it just yeah. it got and sometimes it does they get a little dark or but you just end up knowing learning about these people on the show and that's why I love the show so much I also love there's you know you have Billy and in, in, uh, Billy B and um, you know Matthew and, and a lot of the you know the, the drag race girls come on and we all know them and we we know their stories but sometimes I there are people who come on like I, you know I don't know if you saw the hungry one I don't, I don't know if you know I do know yeah, yeah. you know this is you've never seen anything like that it's like oh, yeah, a Rorschach test yeah. Rorschach on the like, face like, like an interdimensional bug or something like an ant or and you even say in that one that you say you don't even know how to define the, yeah a hungry aesthetic essentially the, there there's some people like we're you know, we're old queens, and mostly I can look at a drag queen and say, "Well, that's a 1930s. This is a 1960s right. Avedon sure. shoot. This is like yeah. the references and everything like that." There are some people that come on. There's a girl coming on um, tomorrow. Sad Salvia. Do you know who Sad no. Salvia is? <gasps> Sad Salvia is from Wales, oh. and the look is once again it looks like an interdimensional goat monster <laughs> or something. I enjoy those people who come on and they just open a lot of the kids' minds because mm-hmm. a, a lot of times with Drag Race, God love it, and it's done so much for drag. Sure, but there's a sort of a, a cookie cutter aesthetic. There's mm-hmm. a there's a um, uh, sometimes hard to tell people apart because they're doing an homage and they think this is how it's supposed to be done. Yes, almost the mainstream within the subculture. E- e- exactly. Yeah. That's my favorite part about mm-hmm. transformation is b- being able to show people all the different sides of, of drag. And, sure. Um, you know, I mean, and there are people that I love, you know, like uh, on Drag Race, I have Milk and, and some of the, the people who have, have brought in different uh, looks. But a lot of times you get blowbacks from the kids who don't quite understand it yet. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's an education process. So I mm-hmm. always give people a moment of grace when they have these knee-jerk reactions. Sure. Be mindful about your words. Your words are powerful and they affect other people. You don't have a mask of anonymity. Mm-hmm. You're somebody who's affecting somebody else. That's true. So I'm going to give you a moment and please reconsider what yeah. you are putting out there. So especially with things like drag race or when people have, I don't get it or you don't understand it or you're fearful or you don't know what to compare it to. Just take it for what it is. Yeah. Let it wash over you 
and then figure it out later. The thing that drives me crazy is that if you aren't wearing nails, it's not drag. That, you know, you cannot <laughs> tell anytime you put on a character, anytime you are changing your look, it's that RuPaulian thing where we are all born naked and the rest is drag. And it, it anything is drag. And you it's not up to you exactly. to tell me what is what I'm doing is is there isn't drag. Yeah, you know? I sure. get what I'm doing. Yeah. You get what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Craig yeah. knows his beeswax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one has the right to define someone else's. Exactly. How did the Transformations show start? You're already working with World of Wonder, but what was the impetus to do it? I would Google my name. Uh, it would just be a picture of me cross-eyed lying in a corner in a K-hole. <laughs> and I thought, I need to get some better pictures. I need to get Matthew in here. Yes, and the only do. way I was going to do that was if I came up with a show. On and film. It, exactly. So my first people were Billy B, and Squeaky, I knew Squeak, I was, oh uh, Squeaky, uh, Matthew, and um, a couple other people like that. And then once we found Ridge, Ridge Gallagher. Yeah, amazing. Such a genius. So I have managed, now I have 220 headshots yes. <laughs> that, that, that are each one fabulous. I was trying will... to count them. It's like 2004, <laughs> 2005. You've been very, you. well, you're, your face is a great canvas. And I like um, that you're always so amenable. You're like, let create. Yeah, I want mm -hmm. you do what you do. Just, yeah. yeah, I you know I have a Charlie Brown face. I just have a, it's a perfect circle with two <laughs> eyes, two nose, and a mouth, and that's about. Tracy described it as a golf ball. Thing, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you, Tracy. But it's true, and so like anything can be stamped on this face, and it can go and in any direction. And I am so I love that. And the only problem is um it's com coming up with outfits for each and every single one of oh, them. Mm -hmm. it, uh, my, you need a sponsor. You need some co-branding. What you, you need. Well, we had the Betty Page store downstairs uh -huh. for a while, and that, for that, I was able to run in every single time and grab something. Yeah. Uh, but that's gone now, so it's basically just me in my closet every time trying to free. Because with Salvia, she um she texted me and she said, uh, "I we need um it needs to be all beige." And um uh and maybe some fur and I was do like, you have beige? I was I gonna say, that's yeah. do you know, I, like, I have been like, I don't even have a towel that's beige. <laughs> maybe a taupe, maybe in a pinch, <laughs> well, but uh, I can't. There's maybe I don't know. Maybe there might be some. I don't know. So I'm like literally <laughs> freaked idea. out. I have an idea, Craig. Yes, Evan. Maybe we could put out a little post and say, if you are an <laughs> up and coming top designer, sure, we can. Get, um, there we go. Maybe get in touch with James, yeah. and, I would and, and love we'll it. put a little. We'll put a link because mm -hmm. I know that a lot of your whimsically volatile podcasters are in the arts. Absolutely, yeah. and they would Certainly. like a little. You know, please bump. help, sure. help, uh, help me, and we a different will... kind of bump. By the way, just to be clear, <laughs> just to be clear. Sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> and they can get in touch with you. Yes, and... please. World of Wonder, and I will. We will put plaster your your image all over and give you all the things in the world. Yeah, definitely. Websites, they're great. Want one? Get Wix. We're doing it. So the reason it's not up yet, totally down to us. We've been traveling too much. We're all over the place. We're in different parts of the country at the moment. However, what that really means is we're taking extra, extra care to make sure everything on the website is as glorious as we want it to be. We could have had it up yesterday, two weeks ago, a month ago, because that's how easy it is to use Wix. Because we don't know coding. I mean, do you know coding? A lot of people don't. And a lot of people are a little intimidated by the fact that they're not tech whizzes. You don't have to be one to use Wix. And using Wix is how you're going to get a fabulous professional website. There's 140 million other people who use Wix for their website. And you can start and publish for free. 
You choose from over 500 stunning templates or start from scratch. And you can change, customize, or add anything you want. And all sites include built-in SEO tools. Now, that's SEO, which stands for Search Engine Optimization, which is very, very helpful, particularly for businesses, if you want your website to be found. It's really the most technologically advanced website building platform available. Tools for every kind of business, from e-commerce to music to hotels, events, uh, restaurants, and more. And if you're just making a personal website, well, why not make it look the best you can, right? And also, it's so easy with Wix, why not? There's no HTML or CSS necessary. You can get started now by going to Wix.com, that's W-I-X.com slash podcast, to get 10% off. Again, that's Wix.com slash podcast. And soon we'll be sharing our website with you, and we want to see yours that you make with Wix. And how did you originally get involved with World of Wonder? I knew Randy and Fenton when they were in a band called the Fabulous Pop Tarts mm -hmm. back in the 1980s, and they were just god awful. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yet we they performed. You know, every night they were performing at the Cat Club or some club yeah. somewhere, and we would have to go and to give, show them support. So I knew them, and then um, they sort of fell back a little bit from the scene, and yeah. then the next thing we knew, Supermodel <laughs> came out, and we and every. Every queen in the world then was like, they're making stars out of drag queens. We got to get in touch with World of Wonders. Yeah. So I managed to um, find them again. And that's when they started doing a, a documentary about the club kids scene. Right. Not knowing that th there was a murder. that th They didn't know any of oh, that. Oh, really? Wow. So they were getting all this um, footage of everybody. They, were, they had Michael at my house. Michael was on camera. And he said... I murdered Angel and I da, 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 and joking, but he wasn't joking, but he confessed on camera and they looked at each other and they realized, holy shit, we have something here that's bigger than what we thought. You know, right. we, yeah. we thought we were just doing this funny, you know, this cute little campy club kid documentary. Yeah. And all of a sudden we've stumbled into this murder. Yeah. And so um, that's when wow. that was they were in New York and then they went back to Los Angeles to film it. And I knew I had to get out of Los Angeles. So, I mean, out of New York. Mm -hmm. And so I came out to Los Angeles, my sister's out here, and I got back in touch with them again, and we went out to dinner, and that's when we came up with the idea to write the book, and mm. to, they would help me get the literary agent and everything. Yeah. So um, I had known them before, and then when the, everything went down, I reconnected with them, and I've been sort of with them in some form or another for mm. since 96, 97. They do so much LGBTQ uh, programming. Mm -hmm. They do Big Frida. Sure. They do, um, uh, you know, they also do, you know, uh, World million, of Wonder Presents. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, we had the Pets for Pets cash. Yes, yes, I love that. So they do. They're very good about including everybody. Yes. Yeah. And they, they have a genuine passion and a genuine love. And then they do their bigger projects like the Maplethorpe documentary. The Tammy Faye documentary, Tammy. which is incredible. Yeah, it's a Tammy Faye. If you haven't seen it out there, watch it yeah. after the after the show. After that, the show, no. that's one of yeah. my favorites. Oh, they also did Monica in Black and White, like, right? Uh, oh, the Monica right. Lewinsky one, mm -hmm. and she has been uh, a, a great ally of World of Wonder since mm -hmm. then. She's really amazing, and um, they do manage to keep everybody sort of. They, 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 their love and, and you know they, they keep fa their family family they're like sticky rice once you, <laughs> once you start getting in you're in the Katamari Damasi ball <laughs> and when you did decide to move to LA did you find uh, the initial transition jarring they do say it takes three years before LA feels like home sure 
you know, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. The, the, you're you feel a little displaced, and there's a weird thing because there is no center to L.A. Mm-hmm. There's no like <laughs> you need to know where you're going. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and um, you know, in the days when it was just Thomas Guides, like it was oh, like I don't yeah. know if anybody out there remembers they, Thomas Guides. They were like 800 pages. It was an 800 page map that was out of order. <laughs> it it would make no sense. Made no th- you would start and you would you would be following it and say now go to page 703, and from 703 you go back to three. And then, and it, we would have to pull over to the side of the road, yeah, the, uh, flip the page, uh, figure out where the hell we are. I would still be lost on my way. Yeah, I need I'm GPS. St- I still yeah. get lost in lost in LA. I, every time I go in, I got lost finding today. I, there was no. I, I'm just always. With, <laughs> well, at least you're good looking. <laughs> there you go. But um, it was a hard transition, and I came out here with the idea that I wasn't going to try and replicate what I did in New York in mm-hmm. LA because I think a lot of people had a knee jerk reaction. Oh, James St. James, you know, he had he could, you know, he had to he escaped from New York and now he's here. And so I didn't want anyone to ever think that I was coming for the club scene or anything. Sure, so I yeah. sort of laid back. I, I the first couple of years I didn't go out that much, and it was just. It was a conscious decision to to approach it differently. But in that time, you really cultivated other things that have re- at this point now really flourished. Yeah. You know, you've re- re-identified yourself and, and you've brought something else that you can share, which is still just as compelling and invi- viable, just in a different way. Yeah. Well, I believe in my heart of hearts that every five years you have to completely reinvent yourself. Oh, <laughs> that, yeah, they, they, sure. that every five years there has to be something else that uh is is giving you bliss and giving you joy and and uh if otherwise you're just you you get stagnant and so it's it's hard and the older you get the harder it gets mm-hmm. but um you know it, and so that's why uh i had been i had done freak show the book and then um I was working at World of Wonder and I sort of that's when I started doing transformations and now trans, trans, transformations was five years and that's when the movie Fleet show came out so like I have to keep like constantly there has to be another goal out there you always sure, yeah, you have yeah. to always have something to look forward to and to keep striving for the trilogy now the, tr- uh, the trilogy the yeah now unfortunately start the next trilogy it yeah. is such a hard time for to get published right now the publishing industry has gotten more conservative mm-hmm. and um i such a weird story my literary agent um disappeared and he uh this is so weird this guy he he was my editor for freak show mm-hmm. and then he started his own literary agency and he had it was um bd wong and me and rupaul and janice mm-hmm. dickinson he had a whole roster of people that he'd worked with do, editing books and stuff that he brought over and um for the first year we were pitching things we were going he's in new york and everything and we were talking you know a couple times a week and then all of a sudden the phone calls just stopped and uh the emails were would come back and unanswered and then um the phone went dead and then his his um website went dead and all of a sudden it's like two three years later <laughs> nobody's heard anything from him yeah i'm reaching out to janice and bd and everybody they haven't heard anything from mm-hmm. him about five years have passed i still don't have an agent um <laughs> but another agent from who had an agency who did harry potter's books started 
started an investigation to find out what happened to this guy. And people were saying that they heard he was dead. That, that, that. Well, it comes to find out, this is what I remember about him, is that he got into this weird S&M scene. Mm-hmm. And he had a history of with meth. This was like 10 years ago. And I was, we were all thinking, did he fall into some weird meth thing? Is he yeah. maybe in a dungeon somewhere? Is he tied up? Is he the gimp? Who knows? And so then someone else said that they saw him um, in WeHo, I mean in Soho, um, and that he was a homeless person and he was talking to himself and he was crazy. And so... And then that was so. So somebody said on Facebook that they saw him, da, da, and that's the last anyone has ever heard. So oh my, my age, I know. So I, I don't have an agent because my agent disappeared. Well, the sordid underbelly of the publishing industry, you know, is really it's an overlooked. True, uh, it's yeah. true. When this you, is the book. Yeah, <laughs> you, no, right. This is maybe the beginning of the next trilogy. Uh, yes. Um, when you started writing, you were writing for zines and mm-hmm. other publications. Can you talk a little bit about when you first got into that? In New York, uh, back in the '80s, I wrote for Project X, which was a club kid uh, news uh, like magazine, and also like every little bar rag, every mm-hmm. little I just for free. I just did it to like sort of hone my voice. I always tell people to do that. Just you know, when you first start out, just write for free. Anyone who will have you, yeah. any writing is you know, and you get feedback from people, and people would say that was great, and other people would say that was awful. Mm-hmm. And you know, I remember Stephen Saban. In fact, the first time I wrote something, he came up to me, he said that I was really impressed, I was really proud, and that made everything to me. <sighs> and then I wrote something else, and he came up to me, he said that was shit, that was <laughs> terrible. And so like I realized that like it was un, you know, it was conditional <laughs> what I was writing. You're only good. Is yeah. your last, last period <laughs> exactly? <laughs> but so I did that for almost, and then I wrote for Outweek, which was like forty dollars or something. And it was mm-hmm. nothing. So I did that for almost ten years before yeah. Disco Bloodbath came along. Mm-hmm. So by the time I the something happened and I felt like I could write long form, um, I had a voice already, and so I was right. I it was easier for me to do. And I had also taken a year off from clubbing, and I went to Miami. To, to get off cocaine, I moved to Miami. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. That didn't really work out, but it did. I did spend about nine months there, just writing every night and writing and sort of seeing if I could write long form. So I had that. I have like five books that haven't been published in my computer. So listen, this is great because when you connect with someone. It will be all ready to go. Yeah, that's true. Right, yeah. right. Or when I die, there will be a, like a cache of, of collectors' you know, items. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. yeah, which will go for a pretty penny because <laughs> right. of the excitement afterwards. There you yeah, go. yeah. So maybe in the afterlife, I will have some. I will come back and haunt the the publishers. <laughs> You're going to be that spot in someone's <laughs> <Yeah>. apartment. <laughs> <laughs> to go back a little uh, further back, your fascination with Warhol helped propel you into the life that you had. And an interesting aspect of that is that the Club Kid era is an era that a lot of people look at like the factory. But you say something either in an interview or in your book about how things are look so glamorous that are from the past. And I was wondering if you'd want to talk about Warhol and that a little bit more. Well, the, the thing about, you know, because when I was a, a teenager, I remember I found um, A to B, I think, or A, yeah. Um, Popism? War- I did Popism, and then the Edie book came out oh, right after yeah, that, and yeah. then there was Warhol A to B or something like oh, that. Oh, yes, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And the philosophy of Andy Warhol, I yeah. guess, is what it was. And I had all three of those things when I was like 14 or 15 years old. And it really, I was in Saginaw, Michigan, and I 
it opened my eyes that there was my tribe out there, that there were people like me, and I would see mm-hmm. Joe Delosandro and Hollywood Woodlawn and Candy Darling and Edie Sedgwick and all these, you know, the superstars, and that's what I wanted to be, and I wanted to come to New York and and um, be a part of the factory scene. And of course, the factory scene wasn't really the same thing by the time I got sure. there. Uh, I did get to go to the factory a couple times, meet Warhol, and, and that was always a thrill for me. But the thing that I realized years later was that the Warhol scene, uh, the factory scene, was, was just, if I would time travel back, it would be a nightmare. Yeah, you know, yeah. it was a bunch of speed freaks, yeah. you know, spinning out of control. They would be annoying as fuck. People have a tendency to mythologize and glamorize the past scenes, sure. you know, and whether or not they deserve it, you mm-hmm. know, like to me, I, the, the club kids scene, it was fun. I was there and I love all those people, but yeah. it, there was nothing glamorous about it. Sure. I remember that um, Fran Lebowitz one time said that glamour is anything that is older than you. It's the generation before you. She said, you know, Brad Pitt is a twink. Uh, Cary Grant is glamorous to yeah, me. Sure. There's no yeah, way yeah. that she could ever think of Brad Pitt as being glamorous or Angelina right. Jolie because they were younger than her. And f- so for me, it's that same thing. Like, you know, these are all cute kids running. Amanda Lepore is adorable. You know, she's precious. But yeah, yeah, but she's not glamorous to me because I'm. we are the same age. We're this, of the same scene. So I don't understand when people are mythologizing I guess I, I had a hand in it, <laughs> but but um, but I don't see it as a you know sure. to, to me you know like I said you know the Warhol scene in Studio Fifty Four and all that is glamorous yeah sure but it probably wasn't very glamorous to the people who mm-hmm. you know like Bianca Jagger doesn't sit back and think about how glamorous Studio Fifty Four you don't think was. of it in that moment like yeah. sometimes you know we get involved because we live pretty rarefied lives we we're pretty blessed to have pretty extraordinary experiences with other extraordinary people as a collective. But in the moment, I'm just like, this is so fun. Uh, It's like, so I don't go, oh my God, people are going to talk about this. (laughs) You know, it's like high school. I don't go, gosh, these are the good old days. (laughs) You know, in the moment. When people do do that, you're immediately suspicious of them. And as you should be, actually, yeah. <laughs> to me, uh, the scene that was right before us, the the area scene and, and every uh, Diane Brill no. will sure. always be the most glamorous woman on the face of the earth. And even now, we're we're friends, and I talk to her, but I still get a little nervous you when do? when uh, when when, when oh. she emails me or talk, you know, texts me or something. Oh my god, Diane! Isn't that funny? <laughs> it's, it's so that's adorable. It is. That's it's sweet, sweet to still maintain <laughs> that excitement because also I think the lesson from that too is that. You just have to propel yourself into the life that you want using those images that you have of those other scenes as your sort of guidepost. Right. Because that's really what it's for. It's inspiration. Yeah. When you were 14, 15, what was your life like then in your hometown and with your family? It was a little schizophrenic because I was in Michigan for part of the time. My mother was in Michigan, and that was sort of as bleak and as depressing yeah. as you can imagine. No good reason for you to be there. <laughs> no, no, no. And but there the was culture, a... the culture there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, the theater. <laughs> that was a great art scene in Saginaw. Um, but uh, I had a lot of good friends, but I was also bullied a lot, and mm-hmm. there was a lot of like... Um, 
I would just re I I knew that I wanted to get to New York at that certain point, and I had like a subscription to New York Magazine, and I would write down all the addresses of the places and the restaurants that I wanted to go, and I would just make lists. Did you see it on TV though? Like, what was it? What did you see? That's a great question because, like, yeah, what triggered it off? Because now the internet, you can get everything all the time. Yeah. What's the first thing? Yeah, like people now know that Sunset and Vine. People don't get discovered in Los Angeles. You can create you know your media anywhere yeah but you didn't have that back then what did you see what did you hear was there well i there was it's funny because there was a librarian in in my high school who and i would go and and hide in the library during lunch hour Mm -hmm. and she would bring me uh william s burroughs she'd bring me gertrude stein she'd bring me you know the beat writer you know Mm -hmm. kerouac and she would sort of like feed my mind into all these alternative scenes and, and things and so i sort of and like I said, and then I would, you know, I had a subscription to New York Magazine, which is not anything, but I would, then I would drive three hours to get an interview magazine. And I remember wow. seeing like John Sex and, sure. and those, you know, the people in the clubs and everything and Mud Club and, oh, yeah. and all of that. So I was able to really fig- Then also, the, uh, there was this, uh, the break, and then in Fort Lauderdale, which was, you know, still is the gay capital of the world. And theater and, capital, too. And, about and, <laughs> but I would ride my bike, I would stuff my bed, shimmy down the, the drain pipe, ride my bike down A1A Highway, and go to the Copa Club. Uh-huh. And uh, just, I, and that was, it was still. It was 81, 82, 83. And then they, they were still sort of 70s queens with the handle, handlebar mustache and the Sergio Valente jeans oh, and God. Paco Rabanne. And uh-huh. I remember I would watch them and I would think to myself, this isn't quite it. <laughs> this is sort of where I'm going, yeah. but it doesn't seem right. Yeah. And so I still was, I was a little trampy, a little horror. And judgmental. <laughs> <laughs> but I was able to... To say that okay, this is not this. Is, I, I'm gay, but I'm not that kind of gay, and mm-hmm. that I want to be more of this kind of gay. And I remember meeting some drag queens there. There was a woman named Puddin uh, mm-hmm. that I will always remember. Um, that sort of like that opened my mind a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, okay, I'm not quite a drag queen, but this is another. This is another direction, and um, so. It was all just a learning, and it was all just, I was just in a little cocoon waiting to get to New York, and by the time I got to New York, I was like, the first month there, I was like, okay, I know what I'm, I want to meet this per I'm meeting Anita Sarko, and Diane Brill, and yeah. you know, Stephen Sabin, and Michael you, Musto, you and I had my- You set yourself up for success, is what you did. <laughs> yeah. You didn't just go in- Willy-nilly. Willy-nilly, yeah. not blindly. You had a strong agenda, but you also had a skill- and I was accused by a lot of people at the time of being a social climber, which I was. Correct. Thank but, you. But the thing is, is I wasn't. I was doing it out of love, and I was doing yeah. it because I really wanted to be friends with these people. I really wanted to be a part of their world. Right. And so it, people just saw me sort of like doing that. But it was out of just sheer like just I needed a, a different. I needed to make this my life. And yeah. So and you had many years. To which to think about it and yeah, harness yeah. your approach. And, and yeah. practice conversations, and I would have imaginary... I would go to the A&P, which was the only you know 24-hour place in Saginaw. Is that grocery? It was a grocery store, and I would pretend it was Studio 54, and I would like traipse up and down the, the frozen food aisle, and Eliza, darling, <laughs> and the true 
and oh, it's so wonderful to see him have like these conversations with all these people that um, you know. So that by the time I did meet Liza, you know, and Truman, I already I felt right at home with him. Are you them. talking about Truman Capote? <laughs> yeah, 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 you know. <laughs> Can I do a quick sidebar? Oh, uh, please. Yeah, if it's inspired by Truman Capote, then yes. yes. Yeah. Robert Morse did True. Um, oh, yes. oh, right. He yeah, did yeah. The, um, a weird thing happened. I was in New York. I was in the audience. Yeah. He was doing the one-man Truman Capote play. Yeah. He did the entire thing to me. <gasps> wow. And at the halftime, everybody asked, are you his granddaughter? <laughs> Who are you? And I got to interview him like... Just it, like in the last 10 years, I got to speak to him and I said, I don't know if you'll ever remember this, but it affected me. And he said, I only ever did that a couple times in my entire life. Wow. wow. I he know. said there was, something. Uh-huh, yeah. There was a psychic connection. Connected. Yeah. That's a fascinating... I, I've, I've read the, the screenplay. I've never seen him do it in person. He is unbelievable. He, he I believe he did uh, How to Succeed in Business. With oh, that yeah, that's right. Time. And he was in Mad Men. Mad Men. That's the most yeah. uh, right. recent, okay. the last thing he did, really. He was uh, the, yeah. The, yeah, the, okay. Right, the older yeah. gentleman at the firm who never that's wore right. shoes. Never wore shoes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. But this is so interesting. So you had, it wasn't like a, a hit list. You were really clear on your ag- agenda. Yeah. You were upfront about it. So yeah. it wasn't hidden at all. Well, and also that's very in line with the Warhol thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. That, that's kind of how they operated, too. Although Andy was a little freaked out by me too because I did tend to fangirl on him. Oh, okay. He was the, he was the one that would really freak me out. I there's a there's a video of me somewhere on YouTube where I'm walking out of a party and Andy's walking in and you just see me <laughs> Like, like my face drops and I just get this wide-eyed look like, oh my God, he's here, he's here, he's here. But now people feel that way about you. You've become the center. You know, you created what you wanted to be. But I created what I had to be to to survive. survive. Yeah, yeah. Okay. and I it's always um they say you know become the person you needed as a child. Yeah, and that's sort of like what you always have to like. If if I could go back in time, I would have enough to tell him that it's all gonna be okay. It's all gonna work it's out. It's going mm-hmm. to be okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It really is. It's gonna be a little bumpy. You're sure. gonna have to figure stuff out. It's not easy for any. Everybody thinks that oh, what a great life. It's so easy. You just breeze through (laughs) you know just remember that people who lead very colorful lives the highs are super high Mm. and the lows are absolutely (laughs) devastating there's no mid-level we don't live in the middle (laughs) level at all we're on the each side of the rainbow the (laughs) middle rainbows for other people that's not us though (laughs) it is um uh it it doesn't get better uh, you know, and you know, the, I always thought that that seemed a little cliche, a little simplistic. But you are better at dealing with the the highs and the lows sure. as, as you get older. And you were dealing with a lot of trauma essentially when you moved to LA, right? How long did that take to get over that trauma? And also, at the same time, were you adjusting your drug intake, or what was going on? <laughs> um, am I over the trauma? I don't know. I don't. I I I think um a lot of you know uh therapy is in writing and and you work through a lot of your demons and and that's what i was able to do um but i still think that perhaps i i was at um another psychic another weird story at one time at DragCon, this psychic came up to me and she said she whispered in my ear she said i love you you still have a lot of unresolved issues that you need to work on 
And she said, I'm just going to leave you with that. But you, you might need to help get some uh, to, to work with someone. And I was like, oh, okay. And it's, I mean, obviously, I still, I would not be me if I didn't have a well, number of issues that sure. always need dealing with. I like with. have a full pack <laughs> back here, baggage. I like to keep some spares just for friends in case they run out. But did you have a list when you came to L.A.? Like, when you came to New York, you had your list of people. Who was your list in L.A. that you were like, I need to meet this person? Or you were already famous by then. I was, I was already or, famous, but I did, you know, I it was getting in, back in touch with Randy and Fenton. Mm-hmm. There were some people out that were out here. I don't know if Brian Rabin is somebody that I was always friends with and that I needed to. And my, he's been so influential in my life since then. He's always been such a great friend. God bless him. Um, uh, so there, I had a list of people. You know, Annie Flanders was out here. Um, Karen Finley was out here mm-hmm. for a long time, and so there were there were people that it was nice to get back in touch with again and to sort of reaffirm friendships. But I didn't come out um, wanting to. Th- there were no stars that I really wanted to to meet at that point. Was it more just escape from New York? It was an escape from New York. Yeah. yeah. What was your other question? Something about uh, drugs? Oh, oh yeah. Well, also, yeah. Were you starting to? Adjust your drug intake when you moved here. No, because unfortunately, the thing about, you know, New York is when I left, it was all heroin. It was, you know, China white heroin that everyone was doing. I managed not to do that. Thank God I didn't fall into that trap. But then coming out here, the West Coast was all meth. And oh, my God, that was I went into a spiral because there's something in your 30s. I'm I'm not advocating meth here, but uh, (laughs) PSA, (laughs) but it does something to gay men and you see this in, again in uh, in LA all the time where the just the sex is just you have just this crazy weird sex and you end up in these weird places with weird people and sure. it was that something that just sort of like clicked with me and I had a couple years that I just lost when I first got out here so I got a lot of weird writing done at the same time because <laughs> yeah. I would you had a lot of time. Yeah, yeah well, I would I would arrange my bookshelves for a day. <laughs> I would pick lint out of the carpet for a day, mm-hmm. and then I would write for a day, and then I would go to a sex club for a day. Right. Yeah. It was like four days of just madness. But then yeah, I would come home and there'd be like forty pages of of, <laughs> of something written there, scribbles, and, <laughs> scribbles, and a lot of it was nuttiness and just madness. But there were some gems in there that I wouldn't have accessed. Otherwise, sure. sometimes there's some drug writing that that is pretty genius mm-hmm. that you don't like alcohol when you write when you're drunk when you write on coke when you write on K when you write on crystal everything is different yeah and it takes uh, I don't I don't tell I I could do do it because I'm I, I've been doing it for a long time but I don't suggest anyone else do this but um. I was able to take those 40 pages and then when I was sober, distill it down to like two pages sure, okay. of really interesting stuff. And this is also because you had all this experience writing anyway. It, it wasn't just like exactly. you took a drug and then started to write. Exactly. Yeah. And I, like I said, and looking back on it, I don't like the fact that that's how I had to get to those to those thoughts. Mm-hmm. But um, it is what you it is. You could have, though. Like, the best writing is the clean writing. You could have had inspiration. If you had a, a warning label on all the drugs you had done, which which would have the biggest, boldest warning label? Meth. Meth is, mm-hmm. is, is the scary one, you know? Yeah. Um, Coke is something that was very 80s that I did a lot of in the 80s, but it's not as it's psychologically addictive, but there's nothing. I mean, like it's not physically addictive. Um, I never was into pills. I was never into 
you know, this whole oxy thing, I just don't understand. But the meth in the in the K are things that were sort of uh, troublesome. Troublesome. Yeah. What did you replace it with now? Um, shopping and uh, that's our girl right there. <laughs> and working and uh, Milano cookies, man. Yeah. <laughs> Which flavor Milano? Just so you know, we can send a gift pack. I like the double the double milk chocolate. Those are good. Uh, the, the, the ones that are dipped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Those are a solid, solid Ooh, choice. See. Well, when you mentioned also the thing with the relationship between meth and sex, uh, is it the disinhibition aspect of it? Yes. Um, because you very quickly go to a very weird place in your mind where like the create the the strain like I can I, I, I can't tell you because I'm not ready to tell you <laughs> sure, yeah. I don't know you well enough some of the <laughs> weird things you some weird places you end up yeah. in alleyways with four nuns and a <laughs> Doberman pincher and it's all just you know it seems perfectly natural and so in that moment it just <laughs> made sense sure. Now, yeah. did you ever have uh, issues with your sexuality prior to that in terms of inhibition or anything relating to that? Well, for many years, um, the other drugs were, inhib- were inhibiting to me. I don't know how to say right. Um, uh, where like Coke, you know, like you have Coke dick. Or, you Does know, that so mean your penis is sleeping? not working? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So like there's a lot of like for years, I probably just didn't even have sex. And sure. so that was that starts to eat away at you and change you. So then when you did meth and it went in the other direction, <laughs> it just seemed like a whole new world. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't I don't know that this is where Please I came, what I came here to talk about. <laughs> but I, as long as we're here. That's why I was vague on the, uh, the reply as to what we were talking about. How do you find your relationships now? Can you have a um, a deep relationship or are you still enclosed in your protective bubble? I think that I'm in a bubble anyway just with my life that um, I haven't had a relationship in a couple of years. I'm working so much. I just I feel like if I because I'm not going out anymore and I don't feel that there's um anybody out there in the club scene for me i don't sure. think that that's yeah. i don't think that that's where i i need to find it no, no, so that your space you have a different space yeah, yeah so um it is harder for me and i do find that i mean i come with a lot of baggage i mean who doesn't <laughs> could you show me somebody who had a great childhood could you see, you know who who has that plus you have all those gowns and everything that's a lot of actual <laughs> luggage yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> but there is there there's like if if I don't want to date a fan. That's something that like, because there's that Marilyn Monroe uh, quote about how, um, you know, they go to bed with Marilyn Monroe, but they wake up with Norma Norma Jean. Jean. And that's not fair to anyone to Mm -hmm. to do that to them. And also, if they don't know about uh, Michael and the whole, then I have to have this whole conversation someday. (laughs) I know, but you've just given us a million reasons not to be with someone. You just need one to be with them. You know, Mm. there's a lid for every pot. It's true. It's true. And I will uh, someday, but right now I I'm, um, you know, laser focused on Good. work and, yeah. and, you know. Because you're really crafting. You're really putting a lot out. You're producing a lot. You have a lot going on. And this is like such a great time for you. Well, I also, um, my mother is has been um, on a steady decline I'm for the sorry. past three I'm years. And so my sister and I are taking care of her. And we're just this week put, getting her into an assisted living. Finally. Oh. It's, so it's been a really rough road. So 
I find that like I'm at work, then I'm you know with my mom, and then I you know I'm sleeping, and then I'm at work, and then I'm with mom, and there doesn't seem to be any room for sure. that yet. Yeah. And there will be, and I will you know come out of the cocoon and and have a whole other you know club life or party life or drag life or something, mm-hmm. but not It'll be right a hospital now. life. You're going to meet a nurse with <laughs> access to all sorts of drugs. The hot hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hot a new hospital. scene. Yeah. That's you... a, book number six <laughs> in your computer. That'll complete the second trilogy. <laughs> but I yeah. also think that maybe at some point in my life, I need to, um, a drag queen or a club legend retirement home is what mm. I'm thinking. There, I see so many club people who have been their whole life been paid under the, the, yeah. the, the you know, they, they don't, don't have, have a 401k. They have no 401k. Sure. They don't even have social security because they've been working off the books their yeah. whole lives. Yeah. So many bartenders, so many, you know, um, barbacks and right. everything, drag queens especially. That I think there's got to be like a home for club legends where there's going to be a, a communal dressing area, like a communal closet of all drag gowns and a stage and every night everyone will just get up and perform and you just let in all the drag queens and performers and everybody come and stay there i'm thinking maybe a a bunch of um what are the the silver trailers what are those called streamliners airstreams hold on on a second they have that for the circus performers at digsville okay okay they don't they have one for strippers as well i think they have one for burlesque performers out near, but I'm thinking that that's what the yeah. we're just in a couple, bunch of airstreams in a circle, mm-hmm. and every night we put on shows, and that's that's maybe what what my 80s are going to be, my 70s and 80s. That'd be a pretty great third act. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty good, and also you could tie in Hot Hospital because you could have that on the same grounds. Mm-hmm. Therefore, people don't have to travel that far you to get the care they need. Need a young nurse to look <laughs> uh, well, well, oh, well, staffing. That's a whole other situation. <laughs> we're not, yeah. <laughs> What kind of music do you like now? I, you know, I have terrible taste in music. I know I, that, that's why I asked the question. <laughs> I, I, it, I am top forty. I am Sean Mendez. I am like that's adorable. I, Listen, yeah. the heart wants what the heart wants. Right? It's true. Yeah, yeah. it's true. I, you know, um, I don't have the. I used to, you know, like in my teens and twenties, you like you would seek out all these, all the new bands, everything. Like that. I don't know anyone anymore. I, you know, I just I. Everyone always makes fun of me because um, Blake, you know Blake Jacobs, right? We go to lunch every day, and I am just turning up the f- and singing along to Pink, and like, and he's he's always saying that in your one woman show, you're gonna have a whole section dedicated to, to Pink. Pink. I, <laughs> I don't like Pink, but somehow I always end up singing Pink songs. Do you listen? Do you get any sort of relaxation when you write? Do you need calm music or words with uh, music without words? Instrumental study music. No, I'm basically silent. I am. Oh, um, you are. Yeah, I. There, you know. I mean, I have um, uh, some songs that will get me into the mood. But then once I'm writing, I, I'm just sort of I'm alone with my thoughts. I can't have other distractions. Are you a big note taker, or how do you do a lot of drafts with your writing? Um, I do do a lot of note taking. I have um, uh, card boxes, um, uh, index cards of like little phrases and mm-hmm. words that when I th- do it and I just have hundreds and hundreds of them. And then um, I have a very weird way of writing where it's um, I will plot out everything on a timeline mm-hmm. on a, on the bulletin board, every single scene that I think needs to happen, every single conversation. And then I do another like time, uh, an outline underneath and I write out of order and every day I just go up to the board and I say, well, today I feel like writing about this. Because oh, wow. mm-hmm. I find that if you start with, I was born 
moon and <laughs> like it's it, you get through some really boring parts and like sure. it stops the process. So as long as you just keep on writing about what thrills you that day, you do it. And then you just I physically printed you have to do a thousand words a day. Wow. Because a thousand words, um, if you do a thousand words a day in sixty days, you'll have sixty thousand words and that's a book. And it's easier to Rewrite. That is the most inspirational <laughs> thing really I've is. heard, yeah. James. <laughs> but it might be a piece of crap. It might not make any sense. Yeah, but sense. you did it. You but didn't you talk have it about out it. of your yeah. head. Yeah, yeah and then yeah. you can whittle it down to something and, else. Yes, and, and at rewriting is always easier than writing. And you take it and then you say, well, this needs a connection here. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't make any sense at all. And maybe if I move this page over here and then this and then that. And like all of a sudden there's a, a point where it was a piece of crap. And then all of a sudden you look at it and you say, Holy shit! If I do this and this and this yeah. and this and this, and it all starts coming together, and then you get goosebumps, and all of a sudden, at some point, I, I remember in Freak Show, there was scenes that like I didn't have planned, but mm-hmm. all of a sudden the characters just started doing things on their own, mm-hmm. and that's when you know that you've sort of like tapped into the zeitgeist or whatever it is that the the muse is mm-hmm. is coming through you because all of a sudden everything will just start to make sense for you and that's that's when it's like just sort of glory time that's just magic and that method also dissolves the typical obstacles of the blank page and like i said it's a thousand words a day and even if it's you know all work and no play makes johnny a dull boy over and over and over again (laughs) different shapes (laughs) you've still written something and as long as you just get a few little nuggets out then you're you print it up and you put it in the in the page Mm -hmm. and then i think craig and i had discussed before if you set yourself up structurally mm-hmm. it liberates you to be creative mm-hmm. yeah that's true imposing certain limitations actually frees you up oh yeah 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 and that's what, what i'm saying like a lot of times um you you can't you have to just go for what it is that interests you that day because there are some boring parts to the, the the book but then once everything else is clicking then you can go back to the boring parts and you can say well this is how i'm going to do it to make it interesting also you can get stuck on something that's not necessarily boring but you've been laboring at it and yeah. finding the inspiration is difficult because you're just so sick of working on this one scene and if you think oh my god tomorrow i'm gonna have to do i'm gonna <laughs> have to talk about my dog who died when yeah. i was four like it's like you 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 build up walls and you think by the time you get to that you already are like you've already fought so much against it that nothing's going to come out right and it's an energy drainer as well yeah. now you mentioned your current schedule and how it's a little lacking in terms of uh time for fun but when you do have time for fun what do you do for fun pink well pink sure <laughs> sean mendez and, and a bag of milanos um you know because i'm also doing this this radio show and um uh, world of wonder with fenton and, and tom and um so we each have to ha- bring three things every single week the three of you are hilarious <laughs> together i love watching it <laughs> we we do well, you guys we have all, fun we know we know each other so yeah we know the buttons to push yeah. and everything but that is that takes a lot out of you because every weekend i've got to see two movies and do marathon uh mm-hmm. a netflix series or something <laughs> like that and it um so i don't really have a lot of time that's why i haven't gone out i don't think i've been the last time i was at precinct was two years ago wow how is that even possible? <laughs> How is that? I don't even know. DragCon will be coming up, and that'll be in May twenty, I think, fourth, twenty fourth yeah. to the twenty sixth. So you know that's a huge thing in our lives. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. It's and so then great. and then DragCon in New York, and I think there might be some others in the the making. I believe so. Yeah. 
Um, and like I said, transformations keeps me. That's I, I enjoy that because I get to meet all the girls that I would meet going out. You know, like mm-hmm. that's my time. Oh, oh, it's sure, it's yeah, my yeah. time. I get to play with them. I get to dress up and I get to to have fun conversations. Bring the party so, to it, you. Exactly. So that Thank is smart. Yeah. yeah. That's that. That's my that's my nightclubbing now. I'm always fascinated about how the financials work for clubs, especially with the very elaborate parties, because sometimes they see even something that's going on, uh, like a Boulay Brothers event and or a Vita down the street from here, and I look at who they have hosting and uh, making special appearances, and then, oh, and maybe it's no cover, and I have no idea how that's structured. Is it all just the booze sales? I believe the booze does cover a lot. Yeah, sometimes they get just a straight up, there's a straight up performance fee or um uh an appearance fee sometimes there's it's just showing up and walking around Mm -hmm. so it's a performance if there is a there's a lot of different ways for this to work if this one's a free one there may be something another gig the bigger gig a bigger payday that then it's like oh i'll come and do do this this one for free sure there's a lot of different ways because i was also wondering about in, in the heyday of club kids how it would be structured even in your book there's certain things where you're thinking about the money flowing through and like for instance when peter gation is you know funding apartments and things like that it's, uh, yeah. yeah i mean um, obviously there's the alleged other things that maybe he was up to but but he you know i mean they were making money hand over fist it was it was frightening the amount of money that they would be making mm-hmm. i mean literally millions a night wow. probably because he had five different clubs going in new york city at the same time yeah. and they were all mega mega clubs and most of them we're charging twenty five, thirty dollars at the door. Sure, you know, thousands of people a night, and yeah. then the booze sales and and all of that, and they weren't paying. I mean, I got a hundred dollars a night to do the door, and you know, and then and they would stiff paying people, and they were just horrible. I remember at the world, and you would have to wait every single night to get paid to like eight or nine, <sighs> while they were just in the other room doing coke and Brutal. counting the money. Yeah. And you, you know? you're not going to leave until you get no. paid. And and they like, they would weed out some people because some people wouldn't wait unless the they have to pay. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Now yeah, some, they're all gone now. So yeah. they're going to yeah, come and get me. With them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I got to mention my favorite quote in your book is that at one point you described yourself like Pia Zadora on a sugar rush, <laughs> and I wanted to know if you had a favorite Pia Zadora film. Uh, I don't, but I there's a couple Pia Zadora songs that I still listen to. Oh yeah, which ones? Um, I'm a huge the, fan. So. What, huge the, fan. Yeah. What's the Jermaine Jackson one? Oh, when the rain begins. When to the fall. rain. I was just watching that video the other day. That it's is so good. Yeah, it's and so then good. there's um. I Rock used, it out? No, it's a sad one about. Um, I used to think, baby, and uh, now I don't know. <laughs> God, that's horrible. Oh, I'm just the one from the Lonely Lady. No, she has no one it, was, track it, was, of that. it was from an album of hers. Um, I used to think, baby, a, we can play it as yeah, we certainly. go out. <laughs> yeah, we can close I the PA number. We do like and to do that. I, um, she sometimes, t- um, you know, responds on Twitter to me, and I, I get right. you talk. You about get excited, that. right? Yeah, I get excited, excited? with Pizzadora. I, yeah. I accosted her at the Hairspray 30th anniversary screening i like to call it tackling when i see someone that i want to have <laughs> on the show and what was great is you know everyone's on stage for that and i'm like we're in the same room as pizza door this is amazing and i, I mean i have one of her tour, the satin tour jackets so yes. i'll show you before you go and i uh, just ran up to her and was like would you be on the show so at some point she's going to be on the show <gasps> which i'm very excited about and if you have a question for mrs door i would love to well pass it along. here's the thing because i am a little conflicted about her because she was a part of my childhood i remember um seeing her perform at the copa oh, in Fort amazing. Yeah. and then uh lining up at the Peaches, the record store the yeah. next day to get a signed yeah. Lonely Lady or Butterfly. Well, I can't remember what it was. 
those. Um, but then she also, you know, tore down Pick Fair, and I don't know that we can ever forgive her for that. That's right. So for those who don't know, Pick Fair was Mary Pickford's estate. Yeah, and then and, her and her uh, husband at the time, Michelle Rickless, yeah, if I'm the, pronouncing the, that the right, billionaire, multi-millionaire, who owned like every. Um, who was married to Xavier Cugat? But that was Charo. 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 Yeah. yeah. Um, but Pickfair was a legendary, legendary mansion here in Los Angeles. And, and all this Joan Crawford's and Mary Pickford and yeah. all this like, Gloria Swanson's, everybody partied at Pickfair. And then she bought it and raised it to the ground mm-hmm. and built a How very modern structure. Yeah. <laughs> and so I will, ne- I, if I ever met her, I would give her a big hug and tell her how much I love her and then say, Why did you do that? Why did you do that? <laughs> you may need to have this as the co host. Would you like to be I, the Yes, you would. Yeah. I see that glint in your eyes. <laughs> this is a magical moment, I have to say. But she does look fantastic, too. She still yeah. looks exactly the same as she did yeah. 35 years ago. Yeah, the yeah. Dorian picture. And yeah. she's still doing shows in Vegas at Pia's Place, which is at uh, Sierra's, I think. Oh, yeah. She plays a couple times a week. What? Maybe road trip to Vegas, because that's when I've been planning on doing that for Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. And did- she was on Celebrity Wife Swap. And she swaps with Cloris Leachman. I remember that. It, it's, yes. it's incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> you are a super fan. I love it. <laughs> so any closing thoughts before we listen to the sweet sounds of Miss Pia Zadora? Um, I got to tell you, even though we've been friends for a long time, when I was looking you up, you know, um, Craig and I discussed, you know, because he read your book and everything. And just to see the humanity and the love behind it because you're such a big bold personality but when you break it down looking at all these things in your entire history yeah. you know i think that was the one thing that i that really humanized you because sometimes people are just so big and so bright that especially you don't with realize. you know the 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 outre looks and that you would do and everything and sort of the whole nature of the almost the performance art that you did as a cut, what were we going to say? Well, that's that sort of that Lee Bowery thing where he would always say that if you're going to frighten the horses, you have to sort of go out of your way to be like an auntie. You have to be like everybody's grandmother. You have to be super sure. sweet. That's and if you're going, yeah, because if you're going to have this horrible, you know, terrifying persona, that if you're going to have any longevity, uh, people, you know, who are scary or you know distant or anything, they don't make it. It's the it's the, yeah. it's the good people who are around forty years later. No, sure, right? Like Alice Cooper, they talk about. Yeah, how he's like a, just a lovely guy yeah and then he gets on stage and he's the demon that's what ozzy osbourne when you know oh, yeah you saw yeah, what it, like, right, he was exactly. just a doddering old granny right. yeah in real yeah. life and then <laughs> right. you know he's on stage biting bats heads and stuff <laughs> but like the, the only way he was still around is because people know that he's not the scary person right because the true like distant monsters they just eventually people can't work with yeah them, yeah right? exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah as to what devin was saying one of the things that really came through the overriding theme is the unconditional love that you have for your friends and family and also trying to find the best in people yeah yeah well that is yeah that was really nice i have a a deeper appreciation for you as much as i always adore you because you always have my back you always look after me he he really does, and I'm super thankful that we're friends. Yeah, no, I I I love you. Thank you. And now I love you. And now I love you. Yeah, a lot of love in the room. And to <laughs> to make sure you all feel the love out there, we're going to close this episode with Pia Zadora's classic duet with Jermaine Jackson, "When the Rain Begins to Fall." <laughs> and you got to check out the video too because it's the oh, best it's 80s, so... 80s fashion, more 80s than anything you've ever seen. And of course, it was the 
uh, opening sequence of the film Voyage of the Rock Aliens, <laughs> which if you haven't seen, that's you a deep need cut to. right uh, there. <laughs> oh, I even have the cassette of the band. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, it's a deep cut, but go and check it out. And also look up her video Rock It Out. It's a women in prison sort of thing. Yeah, it's great. There's nothing wrong with that sentence. Not at all. You can find it on the Video Drum Discotheque channel. Oddly enough. I've got to find this other song, too, that I love so much. Oh, yeah, yeah, because we can close with that one, too. While you're doing that, I'm going to grab my jacket so you can see it. We're going to close out with your favorite pian number, right? This is a great example of my horrible taste in music, but it's something that makes me cry every time. I love this song so much. Well, you know, you say horrible taste in music, but like I love talking about people's what they call guilty pleasures because really there's nothing to be guilty about, right? No. It's music. If it moves you, then wonderful. And if someone else doesn't like it, that's not for them. That's fine. But uh, just like I I hope this will move every single person listening. Well, I wasn't referring to this song. I mean, this (laughs) this is an across the board classic for all generations. tears <laughs> but anyway thanks so much for joining us james thank you for having me yes oh, absolutely and we'll certainly be in touch about the piazadora episode <laughs> definitely and on that note Shining.